This morning we're concluding our series called What's in a Name? Uh, And in this series we've been covering some of the many names of God revealed to us in the Bible. He's just one God. I don't want anyone to be confused there. Uh, He's just one God. But in order for us to grasp the many facets of his character and nature, Scripture reveals numerous names for this one God. And I hope this series has been a blessing to you, and hopefully maybe you've seen some parts of God's character for the first time, or maybe it's just been a reminder of some of his attributes as week by week we've looked at one of his different names. Each name reveals a part of his heart. And that's the point of really any Bible study. It's not just to have theology, not just to have head knowledge, but we want to know the heart of God. Can you say amen? That's what we want. And so each one of his names reveals just a little part of his heart. We looked at names like Yahweh. And we said that Yahweh means he's the forever present tense God. He's the God of every generation. And you know what that means? That means we can trust him with our kids and our grandkids. And sometimes as we get older, we get a little bit cranky. How many cranky old people we have in the room this morning? I'm in there with you, right? As we get older, we get a little bit cranky, and we look back on what we consider our good old days, and we we think, man, how come society's changed so much, and how come our nation's changed so much, and we can start wringing our hands and say, wow, what kind of world are my kids going to grow up in, and what kind of world are my grandkids going to grow up in? And if we're not careful, we'll take our old crusty doom and gloom and pass it down to this generation. And here's what I want us all to know, that the God of the Bible is alive and well today. He's the God of Moses. He's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God of Jacob. And if God could move back in their day and God could move in our day, who are we to think for one second that our God is dead and not moving in this generation? He is the ever-present God of every single generation. He's Yahweh. We, we talked about Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, my banner. That's the, the God who fights our battles. In church, he is so much better at defending us than we are at defending ourselves. Now, I know, I know some of us like to sink our teeth in and grab a hold and say, all right, come on, gloves are coming off. You want to fight? You want to mess with me? Me and you, we're, we're going to go at it. Some of us, we are prize fighters. Right, Gordon? All right, we are. We, we say, you know what? If you badmouth me, you say something to me, you attack me, I'm coming after you. And I would just caution your church out of my own stupidity and just say, God does a much better job at defending us than we ever could ourselves. He's Jehovah Nisi. He's the Lord, our banner. Our job is like Moses. Lift up our hands and worship him and let God do the fighting on our behalf. He's a good God this morning. Come on, someone give him praise today. We, we looked at El Roe. This is a different. This is a different type of name for God, and it's one of my favorites. And in this name, El Roe, he's the he's the tender God. He chases a servant girl, a slave girl, down in the wilderness. Who's who's basically she's worthless to everyone around her. She's just used and abused. And this this God of the Bible, our God goes and chases her down and reveals himself to her in her time of suffering. And he says to her, hey, Hagar, I see you. He goes from being this big, powerful God, the God of the universe. He is all those things. But in that moment, El Roe, he he comes to that young lady and he says, I know everything you've been through. I know everything that's been done to you. I am the God who sees you. 
Then we went to Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. When storms come in our lives, they will. You and I can still have a peace that makes no sense. This week, just in our church, we've had, we have three families who have lost family members. We have another lady in hospice care right now. And unless God you know, does a miracle, she's probably going to go home and be with the Lord. It's been a, a, tough, a tough season here for our church. And, and, but here's the thing that gets me. It's like I, I, I walk with these families. I talk with these families. I watch these families. And it is amazing to me as, as deeply as they grieve and as much as they hurt, they still have a hope that makes no sense. I watched hundreds of people come in here Monday and Tuesday to grieve over one of our dear sisters and there was hugs and there was handshakes and there was tears and there was even laughter because they, they, they grieve through the lens of eternal life and they've got Jehovah Shalom, the God who is their peace walking beside them. There's nothing like it. You and I, we're going to walk through some storms, but we can have peace in the midst of them. We looked at Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. Uh, we said this, we're all born bent. Come on, if you're with somebody today, just look at him and say, you're bent. <laughs> we're all born bent. We're bent towards sin. And as much as we try to straighten ourselves up, we can't do it. We're powerless. And so instead of God asking us to do something that we cannot do, God did it himself. He sent his perfect son to be our perfect sacrifice. He died on a cross for my sin and your sin. And you know what he did? He took our sin and then he gifted to us his righteousness. He is Jehovah Sidkenu, the God who makes us righteous. Then last week we looked at Jehovah M. Kadesh, the Lord who sanctifies. So just as God makes us righteous, he then works on us and changes us from the inside out. He not only wants to save our souls, but then he starts sanctifying our tongues. He starts working on our thought life. Come on, somebody. He starts working on the works of our hands and our actions and, and what we do. You know why? Because God is holy and he wants the people who know him to live differently than the people who don't. But here's the good news. He's the God who makes us holy. Our job is to hold still. Hold still. Let the potter do what he wants with the clay. Let the master take his chisel and hammer that out and hammer that out and hammer that out. That's the way we grow. Healthy things grow. Healthy people grow spiritually because we've got a God who sanctifies us. Now today, we're going to conclude this series looking at one of the names that Jesus himself used for God. This is a pretty unique name and sometimes even controversial. Some folks don't like this name and we're going to talk about why. We find this name in Mark chapter 14. Just give you a little bit of a backstory here. In this chapter, Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room celebrating the Passover together. A lot of things happen at this dinner. He teaches them about the new covenant, about a covenant that would not be based on the blood of animals, but would actually be based uh, on his own blood, his blood that he was going to shed for them and for us. He then serves them communion. It's kind of like an illustrated sermon. He wants to show them this truth. And so they have communion together. He also predicts some painful things like the fact that Judas was going to betray him. He also predicted that one of his closest friends, Peter, would deny him. 
And when they finished dinner, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and the Bible said that they sang a hymn together. You might not realize, but but Jesus was a worshiper. Jesus sang, and he knows that he's in for the night of his life, and he needs strength. And so before he walks into this time, he worships. That's a good thing for us to do when we're in a difficult time. Somebody say amen. Worship, there's such power and strength in worship. And so then they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And I mean, the reality is Jesus goes to pray and his disciples go to sleep. The night when he needs his, his friends the most, he's like, guys, pray for me. He finds them sleeping over and over again. It's, it's in this time of prayer that Jesus is struggling He knows soon what's going to be happened to him. He knows he's going to be taken into custody. He knows he's going to be falsely accused. He knows he's going to be beaten, he's going to be tortured, and he's going to be crucified. Yes, he is God in the flesh, but that does not exempt him from the very real suffering that he's about to endure. And he's wrestling through this struggle in prayer. And I don't know, just thinking about this this week, imagine what you and I might be feeling if you knew the next day you were going to suffer and be killed. I mean, the weight that he was under, he's he's not exempt from pain. He's not exempt from suffering. The, The sting of betrayal is going to be there. The sting of being denied by one of his closest friends is going to be there. The physical pain, the the spiritual pain of, of feeling forsaken by his father, all that is going to be heaped on him, and he knows it. He's under a great amount of stress, and it's in this setting that we find a very unique name for God revealed. Look at Mark 14 and verse 32. It says, And they came to the place which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, that this hour might pass from him. Verse 36, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. We've said in this series that there seems to be a pattern when it comes to the names of God. The pattern is is that God tends to reveal certain of his names when people find themselves in the most difficult times and seasons of life. And we can see this pattern is present here in the life of Jesus. Jesus has just told his friends, hey guys, I'm under so much stress right now, I feel like I could die. Can you imagine the Savior of the world telling you that? He's feeling this weight. Later, we're told that his stress would manifest itself through sweating actual drops of blood. This is what Jesus is going through. Up until this point, y'all, we've never seen Jesus like this. We've never seen this side of Jesus. We've seen him as a great teacher. We've seen him as a miracle worker and a healer. We've seen him speak to storms and they calm down. We've seen him walk on water. We've even seen him raise the dead. But here in the garden on the night before he would go to the cross, we see a suffering side of Jesus that we've never seen before. And it's in this moment that he uses a term for God that we've never heard before. And in fact, it's the only time in Scripture that he uses it. Verse 36, he prays, Abba, Father, 
All things are possible for you. Take this cup. This cup represents his suffering, his death, his betrayal, his pain. Take it away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. The name of God we want to look at this morning is, is this Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word that denotes an extremely close, warm, intimate relationship with a father. It is a term of endearment. Many theologians have said that, that a good translation of this word in English might be daddy or papa. And I just find it so interesting that it's in this setting that Jesus would choose this word. We know that Jesus was always praying, right? He's always in constant fellowship and conversation with his father. But to me, it looks like he uses this term at the time in his life where the human part of him needs to be the most dependent on God, his father. Y'all, sometimes, if we're honest, we, we probably depend upon ourselves way more than we do God. We say that we trust him. We say that, you know, our lives are in his hand. And we, we say we put our faith in him. But as long as we got options, we usually exercise our options. Right? As long as, as, long as we got some strength, we go, well, I, I can make that happen. I can deal with that. As long as we got a little bit of money, we say, well, I don't have a lot, but I, I got a little bit of money. I could buy that. I could pay that off. I could, you know, I could use some, some resources. I could use something within myself to fix this thing. Or this situation. But there are times in life, and Jesus is in one of them right now, where literally all he can do out of his own will is say, Father, I'm in your hands. He knows it's the will of God for him to go to the cross. So he's not going to He's not going to rebel against his father's will, but he's also being so honest with God about what he's feeling in this moment. And it's in this moment that he brings up a name for God we've never heard before. Abba, Father. We might say Dad or Daddy. He's reminding himself of how close the Father is to him during this time. Now, it's, it's two words. It's Abba and it's Father. It's not by itself. It's both. And so... In conjunction with this word Abba, he uses this word pater, which is a common term for father. So it's almost like he's saying father, father, or daddy, daddy. He's, there's emphasis here on the relationship that he has. And again, if we look at the context of where he's using this term, he's calling out to his dad in this really difficult time. But he's also saying this, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. So this term, Abba, Father, we could see it like this. It's a term of endearment and obedience. It's a term of affection and submission. It's, uh, it's, it's love, which is the language of the heart, but it's also surrender, which is language of the will. He's calling out to his father. He's expressing his heartache, but at the same time, he's saying, Father, I will obey your will. It just strikes me as such a beautiful picture about being honest with God about our fears, our stress, our pain, like a child would call out to their daddy. But then it's also saying, but Father, if you've called me to walk through this, then I surrender. God's never asked any of us to go to a 
physical cross, but he's probably asked all of us to do some hard stuff. To walk through some hard things in life. And the beauty of this Abba Father, it kind of reminds me of that old poem, Footprints in the Sand, if you're familiar with that. that, that when, my, when my brother died, uh, my mother, every, everything, we had footprints everywhere. You know, just, it was just constant reminder, constant reminder, constant reminder. We can't change our situation, but God is carrying us through the situation. And we're all going to walk through hard times in life and tough seasons. And it's, it's here where this name becomes so special. Abba, Father, so close. And I guess if I was to summarize the name, there'd be two phrases. Lord, I need you. And Lord, I trust you. Lord, I need you. I'm declaring my total dependence on you like a child to his dad. But at the same time, Lord, I surrender to you because I trust you. Now I said that Jesus only used this name one time in scripture and that's true, but it's used two other times by the apostle Paul. And I want to take a look at one of those in Galatians chapter four, because it has profound implications for you and I. Galatians four and verse four says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, talking about Jesus, to redeem those who were under the law that we, talking about us, might receive the adoption as sons, verse six, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying out what? Abba, Father, the same exact term. Verse 7, therefore you're no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Friends, if we could live in light of this truth right here that this is saying, it's truly transformational. Listen, here's what it's saying. The Son of God became the Son of Man. Jesus became human so that us humans, the sons of man, could, be son, could become the sons of God. That is a powerful truth. But here's what I've also found over the years is you and I can know something is true with our heads but not walk it out in our hearts. It, it can be head knowledge but not heart knowledge. It's, it's not enough just to know something is true. We need to live in it. We need to walk it out. We need to live with this consciousness of, you know what? I am right now a child of God. That's who I am. It, I'm not waiting to become a child of God when I get to heaven. It, it's not a someday thing. It's a right now revelation that I am a child of the living God. And if we lived in this truth, how would it change the way we think? Like if we truly lived as children of God, would we spend countless hours of our lives worrying about things we cannot control? We probably wouldn't. Remember Jesus said a couple weeks ago in Matthew chapter 6, said, why do you worry all the time? You can't make yourself a half an inch taller by all your worrying, but yet you worry. And then he says, oh, foolish generation, don't you know that your father wants to take care of you? If we lived as children of God, would we spend so much time on social media comparing our lives to someone else's? Come on, somebody. Would, would, would we do that? If we lived as children of God, would we spend so much of our energy chasing money and allowing the world to tell us what success is? 
If we actually lived in the revelation that we've already been placed in this family, would we still allow the guilt and regret of our past to control us now? I'm just thinking that we can know something intellectually, but then often fail to know it experientially. We can know something is true, but yet not live in that truth. And for this name of God, Abba Father, I truly believe it's a name that we're not just supposed to know. It's a name that we're supposed to experience. Paul says that when you and I get born again, when we come to Christ, that God actually did something. Being born again is not just something to believe. It's also something to receive. It is an experience. Verse 6, look, at, look back at it. And because you are sons, God has sent forth. God did something. Something happened at that moment of salvation. God sent forth the spirit of his son, Jesus, into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you're no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. It is amazing to me that the same name that cried out from the heart of Jesus in the most stressful night of his life is the same name that cries out from our hearts today. And if Jesus needed to know God the Father as Abba, Father, a close, warm, personal dad, then you and I need to know him that way as well. This name of God is unique from all the others because the others, many of them focused on God's sovereignty and his power. But when you think of the term dad or daddy, to me, there's really just one attribute being conveyed through that name. Y'all, it's love. It's love. It's love. It's love. My kids called me daddy. Something that would melt my heart. Most of the time they're trying to manipulate me, I know. But it worked. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Especially when they're young. Now, not so much. 20-year-old, daddy, shut up. <laughs> but they're, they're... when my kids would call me daddy, they, they, weren't, they weren't looking for me to be a, a public speaker or a, a pastor or a guy with a, you know, a, a job or a strong guy or a rich guy or whatever. I'm not any of those things, so it's a good thing they weren't looking for him. But my point is they were just looking for my love. And in, in the lowest point of Jesus' life, emotionally, where he is struggling so much, he reveals to us a name of God that doesn't have a whole lot to do with speaking the universe into existence. He did that. But it has to do with this close, warm, intimate fellowship that only a child and a dad can have. Church, the same love that God the Father shares with God the Son is the same love that God the Father shares with us. Same love. John 16, Jesus talking to his disciples. Verse 25. These things I've spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about who? The Father, in that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. Watch this, verse 27. For the Father himself loves you. The Father himself 
loves you. The Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. Listen, all throughout the Bible, we see God as Father. But for many of us, that actually made our faith journey a little more difficult. Because we have what some people would call father wounds. And this is not the the entire point of the message today, so I'm not going to spend a long time on it, and we've talked about it here in our church before, but for many of us, the men that should have loved us the most actually sometimes hurt us the most. Many of us grew up without a dad in the home or in our lives, or maybe he was there, but he was distant. Some of us were abused by our fathers. We could go through an entire list of father wounds this morning, but here's what I want you to know. The perfect love of Abba Father can heal any wounds that came from the imperfect love of a human father. That's the truth we live in. That's the truth we live in. Now, why is this name controversial? I I said some folks don't like this name. To think of it as, as Abba Father or God who is a dad or daddy. Some folks don't like it because they feel like it's too casual. They, They feel like it's kind of disrespectful to, to call God that. And, and I would say I have encountered some Christians over the years, and sometimes they might say, Daddy God, and, and, and maybe, maybe there are some folks who do treat him too casually, and they don't give him the reverence. They treat God as common. And, and, and we've, we've done this many times in this church, but we said, hey, hey y'all, He is close, he's warm, and he loves us with an incredible love. But hey, he's still God. (laughs) He's still holy, all together, holy, all by himself, and around the throne of God today and for every day. There are angels who, when they look at him, they cannot say anything else but holy, 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 right? He is this set-apart God, and he needs to be honored, and he needs to be revered. He needs to to be respected. I mean, one day, Scripture says that he's going to mount up on a white horse, and there's going to be a sword coming from his mouth, and he's going to be wearing a robe dipped in blood, and and on his his thigh is written, King of kings and Lord of lords, and one day, he's going to come back to this earth, and he's going to split the eastern sky, and even those who have mocked him and made fun of him and rejected him, one day, they ain't going to say nothing to Jesus except to bow down before him and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, and he's going to rule, and he's going to reign as the King of Righteousness. That is true. That is all true. But it's also true that that king is your dad. That's true. So it's not one or the other. It's it's both and and all that stuff. All the characteristics, all the facets we've looked at over these past seven weeks, they're all true. And I think if we're going to have a healthy view of God, we need to see it all as much as we can. Our, our, our little minds struggle. But as much as we can, we need to see all of that about God. When I was a young Christian in my early 20s, I was really struggling with the truth of God being a father. Uh, my father never lived in our home, and so I, I, didn't, I didn't know a father, you know, on a daily basis. He was kind of separate from our lives. He visited, but he, he didn't live there. And um, so I could, 
I could grasp and actually cling to the truth that Jesus was my Savior. I got that. I got that. He, he's my Redeemer. He's my Savior. And, and I, I loved him, and I wore, I wore a cross, right? I cling to the old rugged cross. Um, but I only thought God the Father loved me because Jesus forced him to. <laughs> In, in my head, it was like Jesus said to the father, hey, father, I, I shed my blood for this boy, so the least you could do is love him. In, in my head, God was a reluctant father. And then as I began to get more serious about my faith and started walking through the sanctification process like we talked about last week, I really struggled. My struggle became more because God began to point out some things in my life that needed to change. And, and, and I, I could not see God's correction as love, so I took his correction as rejection, and I was like, wow, this, this God doesn't really like me at all. <laughs> probably just talking to myself today, probably no one else has struggled with this, but it was around that time that I, I came across this name of God in the Bible, and I began to try and grasp what it meant to know God in such a personal and intimate way. And uh, long before I started writing sermons, I, um, I would write songs. That's the way God was, was dealing with me, was through songs. And so um, I'm just going to go back to the archives of about 25 years ago, all right? And, uh, and this is a song that, uh, that I wrote 25 years ago because God was trying to teach me how to let him be my Abba Father. So... Give me just a second. And I would just say to you this morning that if you have had that struggle, uh, today we've looked at several scripture passages. We've looked at the example of Jesus and now Paul says, hey, that same Abba Father that he cried out to in the garden, that's the same Abba Father that we cry out to from our hearts. And so if you've struggled with this idea of knowing him as Father, I just pray that today you'd allow God's truth to renew your mind and allow his perfect love to uh, heal any of the wounds that maybe came through uh, an imperfect man. And we're all imperfect, so... We're not blaming our dads for everything. We're just saying that's the reality of some of us in our upbringing and how it might impact our faith. I'm going to sing this song. There were times in my life in a world full of sin Feeling so alone I needed more than friends A void deep inside a debt I couldn't pay But then I found the Savior And I heard the Father say Just call me Daddy Call on me Grace is sufficient For anything you need And if you've missed it by a mile or barely scraped your knee My love for you, my child It will never cease Just call me dad 
There were times in my life when I missed the mark So undeserving of the Savior's heart I fall to my knees and close my eyes to pray But then the love of God surrounds me And again I hear Him say just call me daddy call on me grace is sufficient for anything you need if you've missed it by a mile or barely scraped your knee my love for you my child it will never see just call me daddy well if you've missed it by a mile or barely scraped your knee my love for you my child it will never cease just call me daddy Will you stand with me today and let's sing this chorus together? You're good, good Father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're good, good Father. It's who you are. It's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. And you're perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. Come on, say that again. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. You're good, good Father. To you are. To and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. To I thank you, Lord. And we started this series by learning about the ever present God.
And the Bible says if we acknowledge God and all our ways, he'll direct our paths. And something went off for me that I realized that I should always be acknowledging the God that's always there. And I miss out if I'm not constantly acknowledging the fact that God is with me. So as we move out of this place, I want to encourage you and admonish you with the word that was spoken this morning, especially if this affectionate, perfect love of a perfect father is something that you know you haven't grown into yet. I'm still growing into this. We all need to grow into this relationship with this perfect heavenly father. And his love transforms us. Anybody else still need some transforming? Yeah. His love transforms us. This love, the Bible says, behold, observe, study, dwell in, acknowledge what manner of love this is that we should be called sons and daughters of Father God. So as we go today, I just want to encourage you to acknowledge the ever-present God in all your ways and remember your Father goes with you and all of the love that comes with Him. Let's pray. Father God, holy is your name and we thank you for your great love toward us. We thank you for your presence in this place and I thank you that your presence goes with us you go before us we pray now that you would fill us to overflow that your presence would fill us on the inside that your presence would just come upon us God that you, that we would leave resting again with the peace that passes understanding within the shadow of the Almighty who is our Father we thank you for this revelation. Continue, Holy Spirit, to make it real to our hearts, not something, as we heard this morning, that we just understand or agree to mentally, but something that we experience every day. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you all.